Hey everyone. Thanks. Uh, it's Shanith and James here. Thanks for joining another episode of DeFi's. Uh, I know it's been uh, about a week since we had the chance to connect. Super excited about this one. Uh, I know we've hinted at it uh, quite a bit in previous conversations about the, the volatility that we've seen you know, across cryptocurrencies in general, but there have been some great developments this week that we want to touch on. But before we get into anything, as always, you know, please make sure that you're subscribing to our podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, subscribe to our newsletter. You know, a lot of interesting things coming on, you know, and you can see this across markets. Uh, but, you know, with volatility, you know, volatility is usually the best time, you know, for investors to take advantage of discrepancies in the market, inefficiencies and things that are going on. So, you know, with that said today, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, volatility within crypto. This is something that, you know, has always been a hot topic among investors, uh, but everyone takes it a little bit differently. Uh, and it's going to be exciting because, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about how we approach volatility, how we think about volatility in crypto, um, as well as, you know, how we might even be positioning our portfolios with some of the recent developments that we've seen. Um, but before we go into anything, you know, Shanif, it's always a yeah. pleasure. Uh, you Likewise. Know, uh, I know it's uh, it's been a, a fun week, and oh, I just got another notification from <laughs> yeah. Coinbase be that uh, Stellar Luminance is up again. And you know it, the notifications I'm getting are you know very whipsawy, up down, up down, up down. You know you're no you're no stranger to volatility. You know what are some of the things? Yeah. You know what what are you thinking about in this patch? You know is are we heading into the so-called crypto winter that everyone's been talking about, or is this more just a you know, your typical Bitcoin crypto movements? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. So, you know, you've been in it in the market for a while. I've been in it, in it for, you know, five, six years at this point. We are probably a little bit less flustered by these things than perhaps somebody, you know, who just invested uh, a couple of months ago. So for me, you know, even before I, hit, I bought my first Bitcoin back, back in like 2016 or 2017, I was looking at the market and I was like, this thing is crazy, but I don't mind volatility because I, you know, I used to trade options. So I kind of prepped myself to know, look, if I get into this thing, I'm not putting in more than I can afford to lose. And um, there's asymmetric, you know, asymmetric returns. If it goes up, it's going to go up like crazy. And if it goes down, I lose about a hundred, obviously only a hundred percent. So I'm, I'm kind of prepared for this. Like I, I lived through 20, what was it? 2017 or 2018. I lived through kind of what happened when uh, COVID hit. Uh, lived through earlier earlier this year, even when it dropped like 30, 40%. So, you know, I've seen charts where Bitcoin dropped 90%. Um, and so what we're going through right now is actually not that bad, right? It's been maybe 50, 50, 60% drop and it's kind of come up. So the way I'm thinking about it is, uh, and again, this is just me, not meant to be any sort of investment advice. Um, I have price thresholds, which I think I talked about on a previous call or podcast. Um, I will sell a certain amount when I've made enough, when I've made a certain target profit and I'll actually buy a certain amount, um, when the price drops. Now I try not to catch a falling knife. Like I try to let the price stabilize and then slowly come back up 10, 15, 20%, but then I'll kind of, uh, you know, ease my way back in dollar cost average down. So I'm not too worried, James. I don't think we're getting into a crypto winter. I do think, and I'm sure, you know, we're going to talk about this. Like, I think inflation is playing a role. I think the stock market sort of is playing a role because there is a strong correlation now between cryptos and stocks. Uh, I'm not freaking out just yet, though, but I am keeping a wary eye on things, um, mostly as a way to see if I can come back in heavy, you know, after another big downturn. 
Um, but that's where I am right now. What do you think right now? So it's funny that you, you know, as you mentioned, you know, all this, I'm looking at the chart of like Bitcoin and, you know, when you think about it, Bitcoin has been in the grand scheme of things of volatility, not as volatile as other, you know, let's say all coins. And I think everything is considered an altcoin, you know, these days outside of Bitcoin. But now you start to hear things like large caps, like, you know, Solana, Ethereum, you know, versus some of the small caps, some of the newer projects. But like, even when you look at Bitcoin, you know, the, the most recent low that we hit on January 22nd was 35,000. So if we go back to July of last year, that low was 29,000 or something along those lines, high 29s. So, you know, we've seen a dip after the all-time high of 63, that bottomed out at 29. And then we saw a little bit of a jump and then another fall. And then, then we were back up to another all-time high, which was 67. And then we just saw the drop again to 35, 34, you know, range. So we're hitting higher lows. And, you know, from a from an investor perspective, yeah, do you want to see that? No. But is that a good sign? Yes, because this has always been a volatile asset um, and it always will be. And from off that low, we're already at 42,000 um, or 43,000 as it is of today. So it's it's interesting because, you know, just looking at that, I, I think it wouldn't be a bad time to add. And, you know, this is my own, own personal perspective is, you know, if, if we really did bottom out, you know, in this particular, you know, slump to, you know, a 36 and we're up to 42 now, that's a, if we can hold this territory for a little bit longer, I have no problem adding to Bitcoin because that shows that prices are stabilizing. You know, I was adding that whole way down. And this is one of the things that I wanted to talk about how I deal with volatility. But I did get worried for a little bit. You know, you see, the one thing about all cryptos is they're all correlated with each other. So once one goes down, they all start to go down and, you know, some, you know, some outshine, but, you know, it's, it's more, it's hard to buck the broader trend. You can, like, even with a, this happens with the markets as well. You know, certain companies can be killing it, but if a market is done or, or the market is seeing headwinds, it's going to have to, it's going to affect that stock as well, no matter what. And that's just been with tech, with rising rates. Are every single tech company unprofitable? No, but are a big concern about rising rates that it's going to hurt, you know, tech's ability to raise money and all these different things. It messes with the multiple because that that years of free money that existed with no interest rates, pretty much like you can just borrow as much as you please. That time's over now, um, at least for the foreseeable future. And to your point, inflation is playing a huge role. Am I disappointed? that Bitcoin hasn't been the inflation hedge that we were hoping that it would be a little bit. But at the same time, you know, how do you how do you predict how good of an inflation hedge is it? Is it, you know, the price, the average price over that period of time that inflation is getting heavy? Or is it, you know, we looking at just like returns as inflation hits? So like, let's say inflation has been picking up since pretty much like, you know, let's say November of last year is when it started being talked about a lot. It's when Bitcoin was talked about an inflation hedge. And we've seen only inflation go up from there, but we've seen Bitcoin go down. So it's tough in, in that aspect. Um, but I don't, I don't necessarily mean that, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's not a good inflation hedge. It's also, you know, how you think about inflation. I think it's a great, I think it's a great inflation hedge for currencies that are seeing, you know, hyperinflation, they're seeing their buying power decimate. But, you know, it's different when you start to look at then the U.S. markets where we have a currency that is stable. It's not really, you know, seeing crazy swings. 
but we are seeing inflation, particularly in areas of the economy like oil and gas, like gasoline, energy, uh, used cars, transportation. But once you start to get into, you know, the more everyday categories outside of like those X volatile, and a lot of people look at inflation X volatility, which means like X energy, X food, you know, some of the most volatile prices, you know, yeah, prices are a little bit higher, but we're talking about like 5%, 4%, 3%, not seven and a half percent, which is being driven very much by those top line numbers. So it's an interesting time. Uh, I think inflation is, it's, it, it's here to stay. And, you know, I, I was just mentioning this to Shunit beforehand, you know, if we are as a, as a global community looking to reduce our reliance on fossil fuels, there's always going to be a huge growing pain that comes with any colossal change like that. And I don't, I can't think of another change that has ever happened, you know, to the world where we've seen that type of change where a reliance on coal, on oil, on natural gas is turning to a reliance on more renewable energy. That can't happen overnight. It's impossible for it to happen overnight unless we print a lot, a lot of money globally to fix it. But there's going, and when you talk about the supply and demand dynamic, if we are becoming less reliant on fossil fuels, that means for like new producers, like let's say maybe U.S. shale producers, there's going to be, you know, a question. Do we invest more, given that we want to be less reliant on that, or do we invest less? If we invest less, that means the supply-demand dynamic is going to change. There's going to be less supply, but that demand isn't changing. That demand won't change because as a, as a like global community, if anything, our, we have seen grown populations. I haven't seen population numbers recently. But ultimately, the more people, the more energy that we need. So if we were to just cut off, the, like if we want to cut off the reliance on fossil fuels, that means that there will be a imbalance of supply and demand for the foreseeable future. So like, is inflation, is inflation transitory? Probably not, given that factor, because that's something that everyone wants. Um, but I think the narrative needs to change because you can't talk, like we can't focus on, we can't talk about something being so bad but that bad is going to lead us ultimately to the solution to fighting a lot of these, you know, let's say global climate change and all these different things. So it's almost that we really need to, when we talk about inflation, like in a way educate and say like, yeah, this is gonna happen. And this is gonna happen because we need this to happen or we're all screwed. So what's the point? I don't know, Shanif. I know I'm kind of rambling now about inflation and, and oil and, and all these different things, but you know, for me, volatility is, is something that everyone needs to start being comfortable with because it is, it's here to stay. And we're going to see it, you know, especially with the end of free money and easy money, you can't throw a dart at the wall and everything will go up anymore. You know, if anything, this is probably going to bring back the, the, uh, the allure of the stock picker and the ability to find those attractive companies that are going to buck the trend. And that's like really exciting. And, you know, if I was sitting in a PMC right now, I would be, you know, this is, this is your time to shine, you know, to find those, uh, find those diamonds in the rough, you know, to short those things that, you know, are not going to, that are going to continue to see issues. It's, it's fun. Like, in a way, this, this is where most investors, like, this is where names were made, you know, names were made back in the seventies, the eighties, you know, when stock picking was a thing. And, um, and in a way you can say that the markets were just buoyed by a couple of behemoths like Amazon, Microsoft, 
Uh, Facebook, Facebook, that's changing. They took a 30% haircut. Their business is, you know, seen a lot of issues. Uh, it, everything, it's, it's interesting. What are your thoughts, Janif? You know, I think part of me, you know, I'm not as deep into the world of finance as you are. So part of me is wondering, hey, how much of this sort of downturn is due to inflation? How much of it is due to the Fed, <clears throat> excuse me, no longer printing free money? How much of it is due to the correlations with stocks? You know, I, being a data guy, would love to run an analysis, but have, not having done that at the moment, um, I will say that I think what you said, there's a couple of things you said that I think I would, in, I would encourage everyone to take away. First, get used to volatility. Um, now, I don't know if we're going to see like 2008 and dot-com bust volatility, but I do know that the world is changing. And if you've never gone through a downturn, which... I don't know how many of my you know, friends and family under the age of 30 have, like, it's something that happens pretty often, like once every, what, four or five years. And so what you shouldn't be doing, and again, not investment advice. So let me say what I don't think I will recommend anyone to do, don't freak out. Like, don't start selling things when they're at their all-time lows. Don't start you know, panicking that you've lost a little bit of money. One, you should never be in a position to panic anyway, because you should never have all of your assets in a single sort of thing. And I think we talked about this, James, maybe a few weeks ago or a few months ago. Most millennials or millennials right now have a lot, if not the majority of their investments in crypto. And that was going well for people who had never seen a downturn, but like this is going to happen. And so you got to be, be aware of it. Now, how much now let's say you're like a fundamentalist, like you're trying to figure out if inflation is playing a role here, if the correlation to the stock market is playing a role. It's a lot of stuff you have to keep in mind, right? There's a, there's a new Bitcoin sort of uh, ETF that's out there now. There's going to have a lot of impact on sort of Bitcoin's pricing. Institutions are now buying crypto. So there's going to be a lot more sort of institutional pressure. So you got to figure this stuff out. Um, and you got to assume, at least I'm assuming that there's going to be a lot more correlation to traditional assets going forward which, as you mentioned, is a little bit disappointing because I really wanted Bitcoin to be a hedge. Maybe it still can be. But if it's not, what comes in, what, what have you always, what have humans always been able to rely on? Diversify across asset classes. Put X in crypto, Y in stocks. I don't do a whole lot of bonds, but I do hold some, so I'll put stuff in bonds. So this is it my way of saying- bonds now. It might be, it might be, yeah. My way of saying, don't freak out. Just because the market's going down now, it's not a reason to panic. And if if anything, like James said, it's probably a good time to start thinking, hey, is this a great opportunity to get into crypto? I did buy a little bit more over the past week because my sort of my thresholds hit. It hit a bottom of somewhere in the 30s, and then it came above the 40s, and it was below my price threshold. So I bought. Now, it, it's gone a little bit down since then. I don't care. Like I'm just going to hold this thing until I need it, which is like 20, 30, 40-year horizon. So yeah, I, I was rambling about sort of myself. I just started rambling. So I'll pause here and throw it back to you, James. Nah, what do you think? I, I agree. And like, you know, I appreciate you bringing that up because like my process is very much, and you know, we've talked about this in the past is, you know, I used to, I used to trade and, you know, trading is fun and, you know, you win, you lose, but like ultimately you always have to be like watching every single little development that happens because you know, usually when you're trading, you're trading more volatile assets that are more, you know, prone to like very, very large swings. Um, and, you know, to that point of, of don't panic. So like I've panic sold in the past, I panic sold uh, Ethereum at I think $250. And where did that lead me now? In a very unfortunate place where 
I will never panic sell again. (laughs) And you learn, you like, you learn from these instances. And, you know, one of the things that I like to do during volatility is, is it's like a thing that I've learned back in in the investment world. And this is like back in my first job at a college was like a financial advisor, you know, working with corporate benefit plans and, you know, the importance of like dollar cost averaging, you know, it's very hard for the everyday person to time the market. Is it possible? Absolutely. You know, if you're very into the weeds with data, you're building out your own models, you're really looking at this stuff. Yeah, you can beat the market as possible, especially in inefficient asset classes like cryptocurrencies, which is highly inefficient. You know, there is like obviously price is available for everyone, but there's an information disadvantage because, you know, there isn't, you know, the infrastructure that, you know, general financial services has, you know, not everything is always priced in because, you know, how are you going to know when Elon Musk is going to open his mouth and say they're not going to, you know, accept Bitcoin anymore? Or, you know, some media report of how Bitcoin is destroying the environment when in reality it's all, you know, it's a farce because there's the, the same things that are used to justify that are, you know, you could take to the, the real financial system that we have now. And, you know, I think they did some type of analysis. I don't remember where we were seeing it, but, you know, the financial system is producing more carbon than Bitcoin does today. Like, it's just a fact. Uh, but what I like to do is I like to dollar cost average. And that's also why I started to, you know, like these proof of stake coins. And one of the reasons why I love Polkadot, to be frank, is I believe in Polkadot long term. I think it, it's a way to, you know, bring in all the different blockchains, because like if you think about what what are the big issues that large like large organizations you know, have been facing over the past 10 years. And, you know, it's been called the digital transformation. You know, it's it's silo data sitting in these, you know, like disparate databases and, you know, solid off from different teams. And, you know, the big part about it was to get all that data into one central location, you know, unified in most cases in the cloud, and then make that available for the whole organization to have, you know, access to visibility. So like you think about the blockchain ecosystem today, it's these silo databases that are disparate. They're not talking to each other, but like just like in a way of the digital transformation, they're, they created this need of a tool to bring everything together to be able to speak to each other. And that's where Polkadot comes into play, to be able to you know, loop in uh, Ethereum smart contracts, a lot of smart tracks, uh, Avalanche, I'm sure probably in the future. And you know, that's why I'm so bullish on you know, Polkadot today is because I see it as like the, the networking of you know, this new vertical. It's like, a, it's just like a, I, I, see, I see the kind of cryptos as like the next, the next tech. The next big vertical in tech, it's more of like a social tech in a way, a decentralized tech. And, you know, for that reason, like, I will, I love adding a polka dot. What I like even more is that I'm staking my polka dot and that staking compounds on each other. So I have no interest in selling anytime soon. I've you know, been just adding the polka dot for the past like couple of years, uh, about to about a year and a half now. And that 12% interest I get comes out every month and then it goes back in. And then that little bit I earn is also now earning 12%. It compounds on each other over time. So I dollar cost average. And that's kind of where I was getting at from the beginning is, you know, and this is, you know, not investment advice. This is just how I like to manage, you know, my investments is when I like things, you know, I come up with a strategy of like, okay, I like this stock. I like this, you know, crypto. I like Bitcoin here. And I allocate my money evenly. And I just keep putting in money. I don't care where the what prices are, but I'm not thinking about where I think this price is going to be today. I think about where is this price going to be five years from now? Because if I buy Bitcoin at 66, yeah, that sucks if it goes back down to 30. But I don't care if I think Bitcoin is going to go to 250 because I'm still getting it in lower than what my 
process is. But what I can do throughout that process is then I, let's say it goes from 60 to 40, I'm buying each step of that way. So I'm lowering my cost, like my, uh, I guess my dollar cost average of like my average price. And what that does is, you know, when I continue to see that upside, I'm seeing these incremental benefits over time. So that's what I do in every asset, really Bitcoin. I do it a lot of Polkadot. Um, I, I will say I have trimmed the amount that I'm just putting into crypto in general, just because like if it, you, one thing I've also learned and I actually learned this from, you know, Shanif and, and a couple of our other friends is, you know, you can't buck the trend. You know, if the, the Internet comes up with a trend, you know, think about these hedge funds that went against the Internet. You know, many times you win. Don't get me wrong. Like you still have an, an advantage, but there will be those times. When, you know, the internet comes to play and the internet wins and going against a tide like that, just because it doesn't make sense is not, it it doesn't work anymore. It's very different from, you know, the eighties and nineties where, you know, this, this ability to group together, just like investors always have for the whole era of time, you know, the whole thing, an idea generated, an idea generated existed is because you liked a stock and to get that stock to go up, you need more people with money to go in and buy that stock too. So it's like a sales exercise of getting them to buy that stock too. But that can, same thing could be done on Reddit. And if they don't agree with, let's say the fundamentals, it doesn't matter. It just comes back down to, because everyone talks about investments being a fundamentals driven game. You know, it, it is what it is. That's what public equities should be. Is that what they are? Absolutely not. It just isn't. That's why you have Tesla at whatever multiple it is now, even though they keep running into all these issues. Like they just recalled another 50,000 cars recently. And like, can you ignore Ford getting into this? And like Ford stock was up 100% last year, which is like, oh my God, when has Ford stock ever been up 100% ever? Like in the 80 years it's been public, you start to understand like, okay, like, you know, the world is always constantly changing and understanding you know, staying true to what you feel is, is always what I think is the most important. Like, don't, you can't get emotions tied. You have to take the emotional aspect out of investing. If you let emotions get into investing, you will get slaughtered. And that's like the whole thing. Uh, what is it? You know, bears make money, bulls make money, pigs get slaughtered. Like is the old saying, you know, make your decision, have data to back it up, do your due diligence, and don't let the in-between, you know, price flows change that. If something material happens that affects your thesis, that's very different. You know, if, if something comes in and let's say the government just banned Bitcoin, like, okay, probably should start getting away from Bitcoin because that's a, a risk outside of your control and that changes your thesis. But otherwise you hold true because if you, because that's the only way that you'll be able to continue to do it, or you're just going to be trying to follow every single trend, but you're going to get to the trend after it's already happened. And the goal is to get before it happens, um, rant over, but it really just comes down to, you know, investing small pieces as they come in, lowering your cost of average. If it's going up, it's going down and just investing in the things that you believe in. And, you know, they were I was reading a couple articles recently that like kids have been outperforming the market. And, you know, why? It's because like anytime they're asked what to do, they buy what they like. Like they're just like, oh, I'll buy Roblox. I'll buy Apple. I'll buy Microsoft. I'll buy Tesla. And then you realize like who have been the winners? Those. It's the things that you see on an everyday basis because, if it's popular, it means as brand equity. And also it means it's most likely getting a lot of revenue. Um, just my two cents on that. I think, you know, I like it. <clears throat> I think we've kind of hit the natural sort of conclusion on this thing, which is 
have a strategy. Don't freak out. Do what you believe in. Have data to back it up. Stay the course. And so, not much more to say. You know, <clears throat> excuse me. I'm I'm just gonna keep keep tracking the price. When it's the right time for me to buy a little bit more, I'll buy a little bit more. When it's the right time for me to sell a little bit and take some profits, I'll sell and take some profits. And that's kind of par for the course. So when yeah. you get to be an old guy like me, you know, you're used to this sort of stuff. And you just say, look, this is this is the way the world works. Um, I still like crypto. I'm going to stay in it. I still like stocks. I still like real estate. So there's just, you know, this is how I operate. Of course you That's love real estate. Yeah, you operate. Real, so. real, estate's been, real estate's been going up yeah. and to the right for the past couple of years. And it's interesting because like, I, I think real estate's a great investment. I really do. But it just comes down to the point where, you know, it's okay for an individual investor, in my opinion, to go in and buy like real estate for renting. But when like you're seeing these like $5 billion allocations to go buy like multifamily homes, it's difficult because like, you know, that's coming out, like we're, we're seeing the lowest supply we have. And uh, I don't even, it's been, I saw a chart recently. It's a very long time. We haven't seen supply this crunched. And then now, you know, a lot of that, I think it's one in four homes are owned by like institutional investors. Yeah, you know, saw that. how do we buy a house? Like, like it just makes it difficult. And it, and it's like almost like commercial real estate. Who gives a shit? That doesn't, that doesn't bother the everyday, you know, person, but like buying a home that used, like, and I was thinking about this last night. It's actually a blog post I ran it, right? Like, is the American dream dead? Is like the American dream that, you know, my family came over from Italy in the 40s to achieve, is that dream dead? You know, the dream of being able to own a house, like on a blue collar job salary, is that, is that possible? No, N not in a million years. Like, could I buy a house like my family did in New Jersey, New York City? No, it, it like I can, but like if I had that salary and I was in that industry, no. And that's why like when my family came over, you go to college, you go to college. Like you are not going to be a bricklayer. Like it's impossible. Like, you can't do it. It's almost like they saw what was coming in a way where, and, and it comes down to like, is that American dream dead? Absolutely not. It's not dead. Is it harder to achieve? Absolutely. Absolutely. You can't just, not everyone is going to see this. We're seeing a divergence in like wealth inequality from like the top 1% gets richer, richer, richer. And then, you know, the middle class is coming lower and lower and lower of what is considered, you know, middle class. It's, it's really, it's really fascinating. But on the crypto front, you know, there's a couple of things that are really exciting. I think it was Sequoia and, or maybe Anderson Hortz. Someone, there's a big fundraise for Polygon and, you know, it, it came in the form of tokens. So 450 million investment into Polygon, which is a roll up for Ethereum layer two. That's really exciting. That's a lot of money. And I will say like VCs, like they do have in a way, they know where the money's going. They know where the trends are going. That's how they kind of make their success. Are they always right? No. Are they wrong sometimes? Yes. But very seldomly, and I would actually love for you to refute me on this. I can't really think of a sector that they were very, very bullish on that just like failed. I can't think of one. Like IoT was disappointing. Did I say, do I think it failed? No, but it was very disappointing. We haven't seen where it is yet. And I think everyone thinks IoT is still the future. It's just, it's taking longer for everything to catch up to that future. What do you it's think? Interesting. I think it's interesting. So I obviously have very strong feelings on VCs. And so I will say, I'll, I'll, I'll measure my words. I will say this. I think VCs are very good at managing their risk placing bets properly so that, you know, they find something that's obviously going to do well. They're generally doing well. They're not great at 
finding the next big thing. So once they understand, hey, like, look, crypto only got big in the world of VC last year, but it's been around since 2010. IoT got big in 2016, 2017, but we've had connected devices for a long time now. AR and VR never really, you know, they're still probably in development. They're probably going to take off soon. VCs got burned a little bit there, but like AR and VR has been around since the 80s. I remember Virtual Boy. So I will say this about VCs. Didn't they you are very a reality thing. I just saw it out there, but like Nintendo had a virtual reality solution like a decade ago. I think it's it was called VR more. Boy or a Virtual Boy or something like was that, that it? right? It was a headset you put on, and it was not VR actually. It was just like this red sort of LED headset. But yeah, you know, it was Nintendo. You know, I remember that trying that as a kid. So 1995. So you could yeah. say the metaverse began. In 1995, that wasn't even, but that wasn't even the first effort, right? So it's just yeah. one of those things where, if you're an investor, a disciplined, fundamental investor, you're placing bets across lots of different things. Inevitably, one or two of them is going to take off because most investors are following the trend. The people I really respect are the people like Fred, you know, uh, Fred Wilson, uh, you, Fred Wilson, who found yeah. Coinbase after talking to Brian Armstrong when he was in YC, I think, and everyone was like, this guy is insane. And Fred Wilson was like, no, you guys are all insane. This is something big. Someone who can find the trend when it starts is someone that I really respect. So yeah. I won't go too far into VCs because I'll burn some bridges. No, I'm not going to burn. Yeah, I just I just no. think that they have a certain way of thinking. And so that's kind of what I'll say about that. Like, but like anything else, you know, it's, you know, one of the things that has benefited VCs is like just the, the absolute amount of capital. Like, you know, money was free. Everyone was yeah. getting more money. There was becoming, you know, if you look at equities, equities, like there, there have been less companies going public than there are companies acquiring other companies. So you're seeing a shrinking investment universe. Um, you know, obviously bonds are always a huge, like it, it's a lion's share of the financial ecosystem. I remember back in the day, it was like $9 trillion in debt. But why buy a bond that's, you know, yielding almost nothing when you can buy an equity like a, a Disney that in a way is just a triple A bond that has a little bit of price volatility attached to it. Um but, you know, again, it's going to come down to returns and this new pump of money into like VC private equity. You know, the thing about these funds is that their time horizons are much longer than, you know, a public hedge fund or a public investor, you know, public investors, they're being, you know, they're getting tracked on a daily basis of their performance. While like private portfolios, there is no, you know, you're getting looked at on a 10 year basis, five year basis. So it's going to be hard. You know, we'll start to see some of these changes. One of the things that I think is a fascinating development, though, is, is Grayscale, is their spot ETF for Bitcoin, is apparently now going for public comments, which is exciting because if you look at the, few, the, the Bitcoin ETFs we have today, their futures ETFs, you know, that brings in and of itself a lot of inherent risks to the ecosystem because these are leverage. It's leverage. You know, it's a, it's a contract. Well, I think, and that's where an issue with a lot of institutional investors, they don't want to own a futures contract, you know, but they, they do want to own Bitcoin because I think it's proven itself in way of another. And if you think about a pension fund, you know, I'm a pension fund, you know, my time horizon is just as long as most investors. Like I'm, I'm we're talking like, you know, depending on, I guess, the, the age of your workforce, you know, these are long time horizons. So if Bitcoin, if you look at Bitcoin's average yearly return over the past what, five, 10 years, it's off the charts. The volatility you've seen during it, yeah, it's been pretty bad. Like, but at the same time, you know, and I, I've never really seen the risk adjusted returns in it. And also like how it, like if you were to carve out 
for Bitcoin or 5% for Bitcoin within, you know, your broader investment portfolio, you know, I bet you it adds value without ad, like that volatility can get matched. But can you really say no to those type of returns? If you plan on buying and holding, knowing that yeah, Apple's in the process of integrating Bitcoin with Apple Pay, like, can you really say that Bitcoin is just a fad anymore? Because if, if someone was to say that to me or Bitcoin's going to zero, I'm honestly just going to say, like, we just don't see the world the same way. And I, I will I, I can't have a conversation. I can't debate that because I don't fundamentally believe that Bitcoin is ever going to go to zero. You know, maybe we saw it go to 3000 during the pandemic. I think that was more of a, a leverage issue where the stock market dropped 30% in three, four days. And like everyone, everyone was levered very hard at that point to the stock market and buying in everyone was retail investors, institutional investors. They were borrowing, buying, and everything was going up. And then finally, you see the market crunch. Obviously, if people understand how leverage works, you start to get margin calls where you need to pay up for that money that you borrowed. You can either sell the equities, uh, but you also have to put up money. What is the most liquid asset in the world? Bitcoin. Um, and I think that was a big reason why that sell-off just accelerated because I was in the opposite. I was like, you know what? The world's going to shit. I'm buying Bitcoin. I'm putting it on a USB drive. I'm putting it on my phone. And in case like I really like everything goes wild, I want to have something I can barter with, like other than, you know, a couple like cans of food, if really things do go that bad. But it's, uh, but I think the spot ETF, that's going to be game changing because also that's going to be a huge influx into actual Bitcoin demand dynamics. Because if ultimately you have a billion in AUM, you need to secure that billion AUM. Well, I'm sure it's probably going to be like 90%. And then ten percent will stay in cash or something like that, which would be interesting. Do you think they put that ten percent in USDC or they put that ten percent into Bitcoin? Uh, it'll be interesting, but I we'll think see. that's going to that's going to be a change where it's going to get interesting. And I even I got a I'm getting that Voyager debit card. Uh, I'm getting a it's you know ten percent USDC. You earn ten percent a year. It's a debit card. You can put a direct deposit into. It. I was like, why not? Like. 10%, I'm not getting 10% anywhere else. I'll put a portion of my paycheck in it and, and use it. No ATM fees. It just converts and sends. And, you know, I think, and this is, you know, not to ramble on too much and then, you know, we could start wrapping it up. But I think the, one of the things that gets, gets masked a lot is the efficiency of, uh, of cryptocurrency. You know, people are thinking only about the decentralization, the masking, the security of it. But if you think about just the efficiency alone, all the jobs that are just there to look at a transaction and review it, yes, yes, okay. When in, in reality, a human will make more errors than a machine will, especially just looking at a transaction. Like a machine's not really gonna make an, it, it's hard for something that has been trained to do this to do it. But a human, there's always human error. Did you miss a zero? Did you fat finger a zero on a trade? Like all these different things that can go into it. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting. It's going to bring radical transparency to everything we do, which kind of sucks because in a way, USDC would be more beneficial for the government and tracking every transaction than like cash is because cash is invisible. You can't see what anyone's doing with it. It's very hard to bring it into a bank, but there's black market transactions for it all the time. It would just drive considerably more efficiency. And, I, and as like decentralization becomes a thing, you know, and, and more of, I've seen some of these tools about like truly anonymized data where 
you know, the folks building the models can't see the data, but they're like using it in a way. And, and again, this is over my head and how it works. Like if there was a way that I knew that it's not me being looked at, you know, all the time, there's a way for me to be looked at, but then it was more just like AI driven, you know, then you have the ability to do that. But uh, a lot of exciting things coming down the pipe. And I know we'll be talking about them, you know, in future podcasts, you know, Shanif, before we let everyone go today, anything, uh, anything you want to leave anyone with? No, I think you guys get it. You know, for those of you who've been listening to us, you know, my take on things. I'm old school. So stay the course. If you still like Bitcoin, stay the course. That's all I got. So, you know, please subscribe. And again, if you're interested in being on the show, let us know. We want to talk to folks. Yeah, definitely. We'll be, uh, we'll be talking next week, bringing you the latest and greatest in the world of uh, decentralization, crypto, Bitcoin. Um, as always, give us feedback, subscribe to our podcast, Spotify, Apple, YouTube, newsletter. Um, really appreciate it. Then, you know, have a great week from DeFi's. Thank you, folks. Talk to you soon. Take care. Right, take care.